Well, thanks for coming. Welcome to uh, my workshop called Disability in the Gospel. Um, what, what we're going to do is, first I'll get, give you a little bit of an introduction about the, who I am and how I got involved in this type of ministry, and then we'll talk through um, some of the cultural challenges in terms of um, how we engage people with disabilities and some of the cultural perspectives that you'll run into in terms of um, getting involved in this type of uh, ministry outreach. Uh, we'll talk, for, and then we'll, we'll talk uh, through the rest of the seminar. What I want to do is really uh, frame this in the context of the gospel. And what I want to do is to be able to give you a gospel perspective on disability, help you understand what a gospel posture towards people with disabilities looks like, and then what the gospel in practice looks like as we enter into the lives of people that are touched by disability. Okay? So, um, my name is Steph Hubach, and uh, this is a picture of my family. That's uh, my husband, Fred, who is an engineer for Case New Holland, and my son, Fred, who is a senior at Wheaton College, and uh, my son, Tim, um, who is 19 and is a uh, senior at our local high school, and our youngest son, Tim, has Downs. And so that's one of the ways that we got involved uh, in the world of disability was through Tim's birth. Um, and we have a, of course, like most people, have a longer, more complex story than that. But um, that's how we got uh, involved in uh, doing disability ministry. And uh, I, I would love to tell you uh, stories all day long because that's one of the most fun ways to communicate uh, information, I think, and uh, unfortunately when we're under a time constraint like this, we'll be somewhat limited in our ability to do that. But my son Fred is on the um, academically gifted end of the spectrum, and my son Tim has Downs, and so the exchange between my two kids all through the time they were growing up was just really fascinating. You know, it was a lot of fun, and, um, and, the, and our son uh, Tim, who has Downs, is really very high-functioning uh, for a child with Downs as well, and, and so I was uh, speaking at a women's ministry uh, Christmas tea back in December, and Tim was sitting down at the table the day before I went, and he was flipping through my notes at the, at the kitchen table, and he looks at, uh, at my uh, paper, and he said, well, I think if you keep following down this path, you're going to lose them. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, Tim's also on the uh, morning announcements uh, show at school where they do a video production every day, so if you ever check me out on Facebook, you can watch some of Tim's really funny videos on the <laughs> On the uh, on Facebook, but um, since 2007, I've been the uh, special needs ministries director for Mission in North America, which is an agency of the Presbyterian Church in America. And our mission is to engage, educate, equip, and encourage uh, PCA churches in the whys and hows of ministering to and alongside people touched by disability and their families. So, uh, and, and I emphasize to and alongside because people with disabilities aren't just objects of our care, which is one of the things we'll talk about in terms of the cultural perspective, but they're also people who have, have great gifts to share with the rest of the body of Christ. And so, um, so we really try to, to look at that, uh, at disability ministries, not people with disabilities uh, being the recipients of our care, but also being those who ministered us as well. So, um, in terms of, of what we're going to talk about today, disability and the gospel, uh, I'd like to spend a little bit of time defining terms. And what I'd like you to do uh, is, if, is if you could just take 30 seconds here um, and uh, write down for yourself quickly a definition of what is the gospel and what is disability. The two terms that we use frequently in conversation in Christian circles, we talk about the gospel, right? Uh, and if you... Uh, have involvement with people with special needs in your life, you hear the term disability all the time. What do those two things mean? So take about 30 seconds here. 
um, and, and do that, and then we'll move on from there. Probably not quite as easy in some ways, right, as we think it, it should be. There's a lot, that's true with a lot of terminology that we have a tendency to throw around commonly. So we don't always think deeply about, about what it means. And so what, what I want to do before we start, I'm kind of a stickler about terminology. I want to talk about what is the gospel, what is disability, how do they relate to each other, and then where do we go from here. So um, let's talk about the gospel first. The word you know, gospel means good news, right? And, it's, and so it leads to the question, good news of what? Right? And it's the good news of the kingdom. When you read through the Gospels, um, Jesus talks frequently about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. The Gospel is the good news of the coming of the kingdom. Right? And so, um, and the coming of the kingdom is what kingdom? Right? It's the coming of the kingdom of God. And so, what is, what is the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is the reign of God. It's, it's not a place, right? The kingdom is not a place. It's not a domain. It's God's reign. And so it's the power of God as it pushes back through life to push back all the effects of the fall and to bring restoration into every area of life affected by the fall. And so, um, so the gospel is the good news of the coming of the kingdom, the reign of God into every area of life. And, um, you know, you might ask, well, why do we have to talk about the fall, right? Well, we we can't talk about good news unless we talk about the bad news. And so um, when we talk about, about the fall, this is a diagram I got from uh, Tim Keller's book, uh, Ministries of Mercy, The Call of the Jericho Road. Uh, years and years before Tim was famous <laughs> from writing uh, The Reason for God, um, he wrote a, a really practical mercy ministry book called uh, Ministries of Mercy. And it's, that's a great book. If you haven't read that, I would strongly encourage you to, to get a hold of it. And in it, Tim talks about how the effects of the fall um, affect every area of life. And you can see from these circles that the central area, which is the first one, of course, that we always think of when we think of the gospel, is, is our relationship with God, right? That, that, that one of the areas that we experience alienation is our alienation from God in terms of our relationship with him. But Keller also says that, that, if you, that the effects of the fall spread much farther than just our relationship with God. They expand into our relationship with self our relationship with others, and even our relationship with nature. And so when you look at, at this idea, the, fall, the problem with the fall is that we have a tendency to be very, very specific about how we think of it in terms of theologically, but we, we forget that it affects all areas of life. And so it, sometimes theologians will say it's universal, pervasive, and alienating. It's universal in that it affects all areas of life. It's pervasive in that it affects every aspect of our personhood. And it's alienating in that it causes disruption, right, between our relationship with self, our relationship with others, our relationship with nature. Okay, so does that make sense? So, um, so then what is the gospel when we look at it in terms of this picture? You've often probably heard that the gospel is expressed in terms of word and deed, right? There's the gospel and word and the gospel and deed. And they're not two separate gospels. It's one, one gospel, one integrated gospel. And the gospel and word is the reign of God, right? The kingdom of God, the reign of God coming to our hearts through salvation, right? So that's the, that's the core need of every person, um, when we think about the gospel, in, um, and what the gospel word does is it transforms our life from the inside out, right? When the reign of God, the power of God comes into our life, it transforms our life first in our relationship with God, then in how we see ourselves, right? How we relate to others, and even how we relate to nature or to, or to physical circumstances around us. Um, the gospel indeed is how 
transformed agents of the kingdom, right? How God's power flows through our hands into the lives of others, starting from the outside, right? Where there are physical needs, into the areas of the social, and even into the areas of the psychological, okay? So the gospel and word is, is the reign of God within our lives. The gospel deed, indeed, is the gospel coming through our hands through the power of the Holy Spirit to transform lives from the outside in, okay? So that's the idea of the picture of the gospel, What's a disability? All right, I'm going to start with really what sounds really dry to use the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act definition, but it actually gives you a really good framework to work from. So um, bear with me with the, uh, <laughs> the legalese here, but the whole idea here is that, is that a disability with respect to an individual, it means that a physical or mental impairment that substantially limits one or more of life, act, life activ- major life activities, a record of such an impairment, or being regarded as having such an impairment. So what does that mean in English? Okay. It means that disability has two major components. Right? A functional component, which is the impairment itself, which is a part of the body that doesn't work as we expect it to. All right? So there's the functional element, but then there's also the social element, and that's what's under that area of C, being regarded as. Right? It's attitudes towards people with disabilities um, also add a component to disability that often disables more than the, than the impairment itself does, okay? And so a disability has two aspects, the functional, which is a physical or mental impairment. It substantially limits, and it, and it does so in more, one or more life activities. And then the social, which is being regarded as having an impairment um, in ways that attitudes disable. Um, think about... Uh, Let's see, I'm think, trying to think of a good way that you could think about this. Think about a person with uh, Down syndrome in the 1950s, for example. What would have been the expectations of what a person with Down syndrome could accomplish? Right? Next to nothing, right? That would have been the expectation. That would have been a, a social dimension of disability where, where being regarded as being incapable of accomplishing anything, right, would have, been, would have been a way that people with Down syndrome were much further disabled by that perception than they are by the functional impairment itself, right? Because, that, because of that social expectation or lack thereof, uh, people with Downs weren't educated, right? They weren't in their community. So, do you see what I'm saying? So there are these two pieces, and we have a tendency to focus on the functional, but there's also the issue of the social, so here's the key thing to remember. Impairments can disable functionally, but attitudes can disable relationally. Okay. Impairments disable functionally, attitudes disable relationally. So let's go back to Keller's picture again to think about, now we're thinking about disability. Where does disability occur in these circles? Right? Well, it, when someone has a, the functional aspects of disability can be in, in the physical, right? in the social, in the psychological and or all three, right? <laughs> some, some, if you work with kids with disabilities, you know some kids that they struggle in all three, three areas as far as the, their disability goes. Um, somebody who um, was paralyzed in a car accident may simply be in the outer circle, and I don't say simply as in easy, right? <laughs> but, but as in a singular component. Whereas a child with autism, maybe his primary disability is in the social right? Somebody with mental illness in the psychological, okay? So, so when we think about disability, as far as the person with disability and the functional issues, they, they can be in all three of those circles. When we think about ourselves, right, and the attitudes that we have towards people with disabilities, 
our primary issue is in the social, right? That social dimension of the ways that we expect or do not expect certain things of other people with disabilities and create limits that the functional impairment doesn't even create or to a degree that the impairment does not create. Okay, so the gospel, the good news of the coming of the kingdom, right? It comes in word and in deed, transforms from the inside out, and, and makes a difference in people's lives in terms of advancing the kingdom from the outside in disability, a functional impairment, but also a social uh, dimension as well. Now, what I'd like to do is just spend a little bit of time on the cultural context of disability because this makes a big difference. All of us care, all of us are products of our culture. And a lot of times in Christian circles, Christians can sound anti-culture, right? But we all live in the culture. We're all as much a part of it as our, as our neighbors are. What we want to do is try to be able to rise above it, right, and apply the gospel to our culture and ask God to give us eyes to see ways that our culture has, has at times adversely affected the way that we're living out the gospel. So, so what I want to do is give you um, two different cultural perspectives on disability. And if you get engaged in doing disability ministry with families, I can guarantee you that you will run into these. Okay, <laughs> You'll run into them in all different sort of expressions, but you'll run into both. And, that, and I can guarantee, too, if you're really reflective about your own heart, you'll realize that you carry pieces of, of both of these, and so do I as well. And then what we'll do after we look at that is we're, then we're going to say, hey, how does the gospel apply to this? How do I step, rise above this and, and look at it from a gospel perspective, okay? All right. The first perspective on disability, which is the one that's been um, dominant throughout history and is certainly um, to the last several centuries of the modernist era of history, which would have been the 19th, well, farther back than that, but certainly in American history, the 19th and 20th centuries, the whole idea of disability being an abnormal part of life in an otherwise normal world, right? Modernism was the whole idea uh, that came out of the Enlightenment, that through science and reason, that a utopian can be reached in, in humanity, and, and that science and reason are the, are, are the vehicles for getting there. And so the whole medical model of disability is is comes from this, this mindset, and it's the idea that people with disabilities are an aberration, right? that, that people with disabilities um, are, are somehow abnormal in a world that otherwise is normal, according to the definitions of science. Um, how would you like to be considered an aberration? Would any of us want to be considered an aberration? No. Uh, and so um, when you think about this whole, uh, this whole idea of disability being an abnormal part of life, in an otherwise normal world, it's really uh, created, uh, first of all, it's been a tremendous injustice to people with disabilities themselves and has, has, has also um, caused many, many practical <laughs> uh, abuses and injustices towards people with disabilities uh, throughout the centuries. And, and the reason I have on this picture on here is a picture of a famous... Uh, mental institution in uh, Massachusetts. And there were institutions like this all over the United States. And the whole era of institutionalization, when people were removed from community and put into institutions, was all part of this mindset of that disability is, is to be uh, fixed, uh, eliminated, or perfected through science. And, and when that couldn't be done, people with disabilities would be segregated out from the community. And so there have been terrible abuses and injustices against people with disabilities 
throughout the centuries, but in particularly in this way, in the, in, uh, the American culture in the, in the late 19th and in, well into the 20th century. And so what I want to show you quickly is a video that was, um, was actually Geraldo Rivera's uh, first major uh, breakthrough in news uh, reporting and that he did an expose on a, an institution called Willowbrook. And, these, and it will show you some of the abuses that went on with, within this institution back in, um, and I believe this video was done in the early 1970s. So this was still in most of us in our, our lifetime. Okay, so this is a picture of what uh, the modernist view provided us with. I visited the state institutions for the mentally retarded. And I think uh, particularly at Willowbrook that we have a situation that borders on uh, a snake pit and that the children live in filth, uh, that uh, many of our fellow citizens are suffering tremendously because lack of attention, lack of imagination, lack of uh, adequate manpower. It's been more than six years since Robert Kennedy walked out of one of the wards here at Willowbrook and told newsmen of the horror he'd seen inside. He pleaded then for an overhaul of a system that allowed retarded children to live in a snake pit. But that was way back in 1965, and somehow we'd all forgotten. I first heard of this big place with the pretty-sounding name because of a call I received from a member of the Willowbrook staff, a Dr. Michael Wilkins. The doctor told me he'd just been fired because he'd been urging parents with children in one of the buildings, building number six, to organize so they could more effectively demand improved conditions for their children. The doctor invited me to see the conditions he was talking about, so unannounced and unexpected by the school administration, we toured building number six. The doctor had warned me that it would be bad. It was horrible. There was one attendant for perhaps 50 severely and profoundly retarded children. The ones that we saw were the most uh, severely and profoundly retarded. There are thousands that are like that, uh, not going to school, sitting on the ward all day, not being talked to by anyone, only one or two or three people to take care of 70 people on the ward, sharing the same toilet, contracting the same diseases. Can the children be trained? Yes, every child can be trained. You know, these kids, there's no effort. We don't know what these kids are capable of doing. So that's a picture of what institutional life at its worst certainly looked like. And many, many people, when you look at the size of that, picture, that particular photograph I had on earlier was the Danvers uh, Institute in Massachusetts. And if you look at the full-fledged picture that, it housed over 2,100 people at one time. And, uh, and there were institutions like that in virtually, uh, well, in every state, in many, many counties, and they're almost always extremely remotely located. And so if you imagine the amount of, of human sorrow and loneliness um, and and just suffering that took place there over the years just really is extremely tragic. And so, so what's happened then is, is um, this emphasis almost exclusively on the functional aspects of disability, right, on this fixing, eliminating, perfecting idea of modernism. Um, disability advocates have kind of hit the seesaw here, right, and said, and said no, disability is not a functional, it's not primarily a functional impairment, it's a social Impairment, and, and when you heard what that doctor uh, said in terms of, uh, we don't know because we haven't tried, right? Um, that that disability advocates who are understandably upset with how people with disabilities have been been treated um, made uh, the social dimension of disability the primary area of focus. And so that's what I want to talk to you about 
here, and, and this has really um, been a relatively recent time in the last several decades. And, and so this is really what would I call a postmodern perspective of disability, which is, is really the idea that disability is a normal part of life in a normal world. And um, I went to a, a Down syndrome conference one time, and, and here's a quote that I heard. It said, having a disability is a difference like any other human characteristic. It's by no means a tragedy, does not deserve pity or benevolence or charity. Now's the time to recognize and celebrate disability. Did you feel the shift there? Right, so, so, that, so in terms of, um, um, of, of a look at disability, it's moving almost entirely away from the idea of the functional and saying, no, it's, it's, it's primarily the seat of disability has, is in the area of our attitudes and our perceptions. And if we would just celebrate disability rather than try to fix, eliminate, or repair it, then everything would be okay, right? That, and that's sort of the perspective of the, of the postmodern um, advocate. And, and another phrase that you'll hear sometimes is, uh, you'll hear phrases like disability is natural, or disability is a difference, no different than hair color. Um, so what I want you to do is listen to, uh, next to my friend Jerry Borton. Um, nope, I'm not gonna do Jerry right now, actually, sorry. <laughs> I'm gonna back up. What I want you to do is, is listen to a, a short clip that, that's put out by a disability advocacy group out of Canada, uh, and it's called a credo for support. And um, it's very powerful, it's really very powerful, but as you listen to it, I want you to try to, it's a lot to process in a short period of time, but try to think, what can I affirm about here? This, but what can I not affirm? Right? What is it that? Where do I feel at tension? Maybe with uh, with what I'm hearing in this, and then we'll we'll talk about that next, as far as how we apply the gospel. Okay. So this is the postmodern view: the idea that disability is a normal part of life in a normal world. It's a difference, no different than hair color. Okay. Throughout history. People with physical and mental disabilities have been abandoned at birth, banished from society, used as court jesters, drowned and burned during the Inquisition, gassed in Nazi Germany, and still continue to be segregated, institutionalized, tortured in the name of behavior management, abused, raped, euthanized, and murdered. Now, for the first time, people with disabilities are taking their rightful place as fully contributing citizens. The danger is that we will respond with remediation and benevolence rather than equity and respect. And so, we offer you a credo for support. Do not see my disability as the problem. Recognize that my disability is an attribute. Do not see my disability as a deficit. It is you who see me as deviant and helpless. Do not try to fix me, because I am not broken. Support me. I can make my contribution to the community in my own way. Do not see me as your client. I am your fellow citizen. See me as your neighbor. Remember, none of us can be self-sufficient. Do not try to modify my behavior. Be still and listen. What you define as inappropriate may be my attempt to communicate with you in the only way I can. Do not try to change me. You have no right. Help me learn what I want to know. Do not hide your uncertainty behind professional distance. 
Be a person who listens and does not take my struggle away from me by trying to make it all better. Do not use theories and strategies on me. Be with me, and when we struggle with each other, let that give rise to self-reflection. Do not try to control me. I have a right to my power as a person. What you call non-compliance or manipulation may actually be the only way I can exert some control over my life. Do not teach me to be obedient, submissive, and polite. I need to feel entitled to say no if I am to protect myself. Do not be charitable toward me. The last thing the world needs is another Jerry Lewis. Be my ally against those who exploit me for their own gratification. Do not try to be my friend. I deserve more than that. Get to know me. We may become friends. Do not help me, even if it does make you feel good. Ask me if I need your help. Let me show you how you can best assist me. Do not admire me. A desire to live a full life does not warrant adoration. Respect me, for respect presumes equity. Do not tell, correct, and lead. Listen, support, and follow. Do not work on me. Work with me. This video is dedicated to the memory of Tracy Latimer. Written and produced by Norman Kuntz and Emma Vanderclift. Words spoken by Emma Vanderclift. The music was by Ennio Morricone on Earth as it is in Heaven from the soundtrack of the film The Mission. This music was reproduced with permission of the publisher. Copies are available through Access Consultation and Training, 340 McCleary Street, Nanaimo, British Columbia, V9R2G9. Our telephone number is area code 250-754-9939. Our fax is 250-754-9930. Copies are also available on our website, www.normemma.com. This video is copyright 1995. Norman Kuntz and Emma Vanderclift. It's a pretty powerful video. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Normandemma.com. Norman Kunk, K U N C. It's also on YouTube. This is from Emma, E M M A. So when you, so when you go from Geraldo Rivera's video, right, and, and you enter into this video, you can entirely understand exactly the perspective that disability advocates are coming from. Um, and yet when we try to apply the gospel to some of this, there are things we hear in the context of the, of the video that don't entirely 
uh, sync with how we see humanity, right, and how we see the challenges in life. And so that's what I want to pursue here a little bit. So you can see there's this, this tension in the culture, right? Is it functional or is it social, right? Is it functional? Is disability a functional issue or a social issue? And so I'd like, what I'd like to do is to apply the, the gospel to that. If you, you know, you, you say, and whenever we do that, I think what you have to do is say, what can we affirm, right? What can we not affirm, and how do we bring the gospel to bear on this? And so what can we, what can we affirm? Where, where are there elements of truth in both perspectives? Well, um, you know, we can affirm from the, the modernist view that there is, there is a real functional impairment that comes with disability, right? That, that there is, a, if you have a family member who has a disability, and then you understand there is a real functional impairment. Um, and that with that often come real relentless difficulties, right? Um, and that there can, but that adaptations can be made, but it can't be fixed, okay? So, so we can't affirm that it can be fixed. From the postmodern perspective, we can agree that it, disabilities occurred across the centuries and across all different cultures. It knows no socioeconomic uh, boundaries, um, and that it is exacerbated by people's uh, negative attitudes and their biases. Um, what we can't affirm, what we cannot affirm, is that people with disabilities are an aberration, right? As Christians, we cannot affirm that people with disabilities are an aberration, nor can we affirm that treating disability, as a modern perspective would have said, either justifies eliminating it or segregating people with disabilities. Right? We, can't, we cannot affirm either of those things. Um, and if you don't think we still try to eliminate with people with disabilities, then why are 90% of children with Down syndrome aborted before they're ever born, right? We're still in the process of, of doing that. We just have more behind-the-scenes ways of doing it now. Um, what, what, the other thing that we, I think we cannot affirm as believers is that disability itself is celebratory, that, that difficulty right, and, and, and brokenness that we experience in life are not celebratory things in and of themselves, uh, and here's what, this is the key thing I'd like you to go away with, is this idea that the person is celebratory, right? The, and, that's what, and that's where the postmodern view is almost upside down. Now you can see where they're trying to go, but they, but they end up not getting, getting there because they, there's no basis on which to, to be able to frame where the value of a human being comes from. Um, but if the person is celebratory, um, and the impairment is real, and it brings difficulty to life. So the person is celebratory, and the impairment is real and does bring difficulty uh, into life. And so what we want to do is how do we, and that's why I have this little swirly thing here, <laughs> because it's a, it's a mix of, of truths out of both, and yet we have to take out of, of, of those two perspectives what's not true and, and set those aside. And that's what we do when we bring the gospel to bear on this. So before we get into that part, I want you to listen. Now I want you to listen to my friend Jerry Borton. <laughs> Jerry is the area uh, director of Johnny and Friends Philadelphia, uh, Greater Philadelphia office, and um, he has cerebral palsy. So we'll hear a little bit back and forth in this through uh, uh, Jerry first, and later on you'll hear from his wife, Joan. So. One of the just really ironic parts of dealing with the world of disability, both personally as a person with disability and professionally, is the... Is the is the where do you balance the fact that the wheelchair is real and have a doctor's appointment on Thursday and that appointment is because of my disability versus those who say that that 
disability is no different than hair color. Um, I know people who change their hair color at will. It is totally different than I'm still going to be in the wheelchair tomorrow. There, there are practical, real medical implications to my disability. Yes, we should be able to look past the disability and see the person more often than we do. More often than we do. That, that cut off there. More often than we do. So, so let's use that as an introduction into what's a, what's a gospel perspective? What's a biblical perspective of disability? Um, if you're familiar with Francis Schaeffer, he was a famous theologian in the 20th century. And Francis Schaeffer once wrote, if one begins to consider the differences between Christianity and rationalistic philosophy's answers, one must begin by understanding that now man and history are now abnormal. What Schaefer's saying is that, is that it's the world itself that's not as it was designed to be, right? And that includes everything in it. That's what Romans 8 teaches us when it talks about the groaning of creation, waiting for its redemption, right? It's that, it's that everything in humanity and everything in nature is not as it was originally designed to be, that, that's, that everything, as I said at the beginning, has been affected by the fall in some, some, way of life, some area of life, and so that causes that disruption, you know, as, as Keller says, in all the different areas of life. And so, so when we look at disability, that a biblical understanding of disability is that it's a normal part of life in an abnormal world. It's, and then and I say normal in the sense that it's to be expected. Remember he said what the postmodern uh, advocates picked up on is that it does exist across, across the centuries, across the cultures, and doesn't know socioeconomic ba- uh, boundaries. And so disability is something that we should expect to encounter. It shouldn't shock us. It shouldn't surprise us. And so, and so it's a normal part of life in an abnormal world in, the world, in a world where it isn't functioning as it was designed uh, to function. And so as a result, people have real functional impairments, right? That, that it's a result that disruption with nature, uh, with nature, with others, and with self, right? We talked about how disability covers all three of those areas. Um, and, then, and then there's the, the personal aspects that we bring to disability where the, and our social dimension of disability, um, which is a function of the fall as well because it, it stems largely from the attitudes of our hearts. And so, and so that social dimension of disability comes from three different things. It comes from ignorance, which is uh, a, a lack of information, right? So where, where, where we have uh, inadequate information or unmet need for information. It comes from, from uh, indifference, which, which is a naughtier issue because that's an issue of the heart. And it comes from arrogance, which is the idea of a, a view of, of that we're superior to somebody else. And if you look at the... That what the modernist view of disability gave us over, over the centuries, and many of us still carry pieces of this, we have a superior, inferior uh, perception of, of quote-unquote able-bodied people versus people who have special needs. And, and so that, um, that whole social dimension is also largely a function of the fall, right? And so you see that both of these, these areas of life are things that have been impacted where there's this disruption, as Keller says, and it results in unmet needs in all these different, different areas of life. My background's in economics, so occasionally I descend into graphs. I just can't help myself. And, so, <laughs> and, and this is a graph that I found to be helpful in terms of how we, when we look at ourselves more, ourselves more accurately, 
through the lens of the gospel, we see other people more accurately as a result. And if, and if you look at this chart, and every human being experiences a mix of the blessings of creation and the brokenness of the fall in every aspect of our personhood. Remember I said I had the fall as uh, universal, pervasive, and alienating. It's pervasive, and that affects every aspect of our personhood. So the intellectual, the emotional, the social, the physical, the spiritual, every dimension of, of what makes us human is impacted um, in, these, in these different areas where we experience uh, disruption. And so, so if, you, if you look at this chart as being zero on the left, Right? And 100% on the right, uh, if we hadn't experienced the fall, everybody would have 100% capacities in, in those different areas. They might express themselves differently in terms of our unique creation, but we'd have 100% capacity. And, but by God's common grace, none of us has zero right over on the left. And so, so disability, all of us are somewhere in this, this shades of gray in between in every one of those areas. And what we call, what we call diagnosable disability is just a more noticeable difference of the of this brokenness that's common to the human experience and that's what the key is it's common to the human experience it's just a more noticeable version of what is a common experience for humanity and so it's not an us versus them thing it's, and that's what people with disabilities have highly resented this is like, and that's what you heard in that video as well i'm not broken well we're all broken right the gospel says we're all broken and so when when somebody with a disability says i'm not broken they're saying i really resent it when you say i'm broken but you're not Right, and that and that's where as Christians we have a different perspective. We say we're all broken, and some of those forms of brokenness are more visible than others, but all of them are are common to the human experience. Does that make sense? Okay. So if, you, if that's the only thing you walk away with today, that would be great because for most of us, that entire if we changes how we look at ourselves, it changes how we treat other people. Um, all right. So, so what Keller would say in terms of the gospel here is that, is when we, is that bringing the, the, the gospel to bear then in another person's life, and I'll, I'll get into this a little bit more later, is that each of these things would represent unmet needs, right, because of the disruption we experience as a result of the fall. So there are unmet needs in the physical, unmet needs in the social, unmet needs in the psychological, and in our, in our deepest uh, unmet need, right, in terms of, of our... A relationship with God. The other thing that you can say, though, too, is that remember we had the, the blessedness of creation on one end. I mean, blessedness of creation and the brokenness of the fall. In every one of those circles, there's capacity, right? So, so we're going to focus on the difficulty because that's where mercy ministry enters in, right? In every one of those areas, there's capacity. God gives us the capacity for faith, right? He gives us the capacity for uh, um, healthy psychological function. He gives us a capacity for relationships and a capacity for physical abilities. And so, and so everybody is a mix of the brokenness of the fall and the blessedness of creation in every one of those areas. All right. So let's talk about a gospel posture, right? If that's the perspective we have of ourselves and others and how we look at disabilities through the lens of the gospel, it's a normal part of life in an abnormal world. Um, then what does our posture look like? What, how do we actually function in our relationships towards people who are affected by disability? This is a picture of my son, Tim, when he joined our church a couple years ago. And this is a, a clip from my uh, pastor, Tom Nicholas. So let's see what Tom has to say, and then we'll... I think the origin of, of 
respect towards those with disability is really found by, number one, understanding that we're all made in the image of God. Um, every single individual is uniquely made and uniquely gifted. And secondly, understanding that we're all disabled. Um, you know, we've all been affected by the fall, whether our personal sin or just the, the effects of the fall in general. And, and so as we look at someone, we're looking at them as someone who's made in the image of God, and we're also looking at someone who's disabled just like I am. And my disabilities might express themselves in different ways, but actually, w w physically, we're all disabled at, at some level. It might just be like, you know, I can't do anything with this end of my pinky, but there's some kind of physical disabilities that we all experience. And we all have differing abilities in terms of, you know, our mental capacities and our ability to, to speak. Um, um, in our hearts, really, the the playing field is level. We're, we're all disabled and broken before God. So we, we can look at other individuals through the lens with which God looks at us. We're, we're made in his image, but we're also broken and fallen. And we can, can, can look at other individuals in that way and, and, and see them as persons, not persons who are in need of me rescuing them, but they need the Lord just as much as I do. And they need his grace just like I do. Um, and that keeps us from, I think, and when the gospel is operating that way, it keeps us from more condescending attitudes. So if they're made in the image of God, then they are people who have gifts and, and they have abilities. And uh, so you need to turn around and say, what are their abilities, not just their disabilities. And, and it's changed the fabric of our church, I think, just the nature of our congregation with those with special needs. They're a part of us, and some of them have the gift of hospitality and greeting. You know, um, uh, Some are, are so much more joyful, and they rebuke our lack of joy. We have some who have gifts in, in music and express them in, in, in that way, um, we have some who are mother hens and they're gatherers and they gather other people together. Everybody has their own gift. And, and we have to look at, at our whole congregation that way and, and try to say, okay, now how has God put this person together? And what's, what's their thing? And what's, what's, what are some of the niches that they can fill in the kingdom? Okay, so did you pick that up, what Tom was saying, it is two pieces, right? And, and, and that all our relationships, and as Tom started out right from the beginning, talked about respect, that our relationships towards everybody, right? And you'll see that all of this is, applies to disability and all of it applies to all of life, are to be relationships deeply grounded in respect. And that respect has two pillars. Respectful relationships are based in grace and the image of God, and and. Grace is the way we relate, we relate to each other in our shared brokenness. And the image of God is how we relate to each other in our shared value. And every relationship shares both of those dimensions, right? If you try to have a relationship only towards someone in, in, our, in our shared perspective of brokenness, we'll miss the, the shared value that that person has. If we try to simply have a relationship with someone on our shared value, you'll quickly run into our shared brokenness in your relationships, and, and you'll, then you'll be surprised by that, right? And so a, a healthy, respectful relationship that's grounded in the gospel says that, that respect has both of these pillars. Our shared brokenness is, is lived out through grace. Our shared uh, value is lived out by focusing on the image of God. Um, 
you know, Greece really levels the playing field. And as I think as Tom said in the video, that you know, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Um, and and uh, in Romans 12, you know, it talks about not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. <laughs> and when our lives are infused with the gospel and, and we know um, our, our desperate need for Christ, then it's, it's much easier for us to enter into somebody else's uh, difficulty and brokenness, not with surprise, but with, with an under, a level of understanding. Um, when, um, I want to read to you quickly from uh, when Jesus inaugurated his... Uh, ministry in Luke chapter 4. He opened the, the scroll to Isaiah 61, and this is what he read. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, I used to work for, a, uh, I used to be on the board of a disability, several disability advocacy organizations in Lancaster County where I'm from and and as a part of my my role on the board I would uh, go out and visit uh, group homes in the area and interview residents and find out what their quality of life was and some of their opinions about about uh, how life was going where they were living and in this one particular time I was uh, given the job of interviewing a fellow who was uh, profoundly disabled and he um, was strapped to a bodyboard because he had such uncontrollable body movements and his speech was very, very difficult. We eventually, you know, worked our way through the interview and, and, I, and I got to know him a little bit. And when I stepped out of the room, I asked one of the uh, attendants there, I said, brokenness is, is lived out through grace. Our shared uh, value is lived out by focusing on the image of God. Um, you know, Greece really levels the playing field. And as, I think as Tom said in the video, that, you know, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. Um, and and uh, in Romans 12, you know, it talks about not thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought. <laughs> and when our lives are infused with the gospel and, and we know um, our, our desperate need for Christ, then it's, it's much easier for us to enter into somebody else's uh, difficulty and brokenness, not with surprise, but with, with an under, a level of understanding. Um, when, um, I want to read to you quickly from uh, when Jesus inaugurated his... Uh, ministry in Luke chapter 4. He opened the, the scroll to Isaiah 61, and this is what he read. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, I used to work for, a, uh, I used to be on the board of a disability, several disability advocacy organizations in Lancaster County where I'm from and and as a part of my my role on the board I would uh, go out and visit uh, group homes in the area and interview residents and find out what their quality of life was and some of their opinions about about uh, how life was going where they were living and in this one particular time I was uh, given the job of interviewing a fellow who was uh, profoundly disabled and he um, was strapped to a bodyboard because he had such uncontrollable body movements, and his speech was very, very difficult. We eventually, you know, worked our way through the interview, and, and, I, and I got to know him a little bit. And when I stepped out of the room, I asked one of the uh, attendants there, I said, I said, what's the source of his disability? And she said, well, he, when he was an infant, his father bashed his head into a door. And so he had a traumatic brain injury, and from that came the disabilities that he experienced. Um, 
so, so this fellow was poor, right? He, he uh, could not work, right? He, so he knew material, material poverty. Um, he was oppressed. I mean, he was put into bondage by somebody whose job it had been to take care of him, right? And, and he was a prisoner, a prisoner to the uncontrollable movements of his own body. So this fellow knew his condition. He knew he was poor. He knew that he was uh, um, oppressed. He knew that he was a prisoner. But the question is, do you and I, right? The gospel says that we are also the poor, the prisoner, the oppressed, right, in terms of our spiritual condition. But, but so often we forget that, right? And we try to operate our life from the, strictly from the basis of our, our perceived capacities, right, instead of, instead of from uh, our understanding of our own need and our own brokenness. And so um, here's, here's the key. If we don't really understand that Jesus came and made incredible sacrifice uh, in order, because of the profoundly disabled condition of our hearts, that Jesus came in order to make access for us to the Father, then we don't understand the gospel, right? And yet that, the whole picture of disability is right there. The whole picture uh, in, in terms of something that not something, it's not some other experience that we can't identify with. It's something that certainly on a spiritual level we can, should fully be able to comprehend. And if not, then we need to go back to our relationship with Christ and say, Jesus, help me understand this more deeply. So, so that idea of grace, it needs to permeate um, our relationships. The, the other thing is this idea of the image of God, right? And that's that we all, um, when we look at a, at a, at an a human being, we ought to see first the glory of God in that person. We ought to first see the glory of God. We ought to look at a person and be just stunned, right, by the glory of God that we see in that individual. And the problem is, when we th- the image of God, if you think of it as being like a mirror, right, and it's a mirror that reflects back to us something about God himself. Um, now, as a function of the fall, that mirror's cracked, right? And so we find it so much easier to focus on the cracks, than we do on the whole pieces of glass that remain, right? And, and it really requires us to change the way that we think and the way that we view people to go look for the whole pieces, right? Look for that whole piece. Look for the way that any person that you meet, you can find some reflection of God in that individual. Um, and, and if you learn to do that and you learn to see people that way and you learn to relate to people that way, I guarantee you it will transform the way that you live. Next time you find yourself... Uh, Maybe you uh, Coloradans, is that how you say it? <laughs> Maybe you're not uh, as uptight as us East Coast types. But <laughs> you know, next time you're stuck in traffic somewhere, it's the first thing you're thinking of about the person in front of you, you know, that cut you off. Is it the image of God, right? When somebody slowly counts out your change at McDonald's, are you, you know, right? What do you see? What do you see first? Um, are you looking for the whole pieces of glass or you're looking at the, the cracks? We don't even do this with our own family members, Right? Go home and just learn to see your, your, your husband or your wife or your children first through the lens of the image of God, and it will change the way that you live. Um, Jerem Bars, who teaches a class at Covenant Seminary, says we need to learn to see the goodness, truth, and beauty in every person. So that gives you three practical things to look for. Look for the goodness, truth, and beauty, just even remnants of it in every person that you meet. And when we do that, we'll treat people with honor, right? If we're expecting to see the glory of God in the person, we'll treat that person with honor. And so there's both those pieces, right? Grace and the image of God. That's a gospel posture towards people with disabilities and everybody else, right? (laughs) 
So gospel perspectives that disability is a normal part of life in an abnormal world. It's just a more noticeable, noticeable form of the brokenness and difficulty that's common to the human experience. A gospel posture means that we have respect-based relationships with people where through grace we relate to each other in our shared brokenness and through the image of God we relate to each other in our shared value. And so now you're saying, great, what does that mean in practice? <laughs> so let's try to, to look at that. Um, this is the tagline that we use at MA Special Needs Ministries. We say that our, our whole focus is making the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, accessible to all in word and deed. Making the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, accessible to all in word and deed. So I want you to listen for a few minutes to Joan and Jerry again, and then we'll try to put some hands and feet on this for you. If I look at the kingdom being the power of God and the pushing back of the effects of the fall, I think of a journey. We join people with disabilities in their journey. You know, when I think about the kingdom of God coming to the lives of people with disabilities and people with disabilities coming into the church, I think we are the prime example of how we really need to meet the practical everyday needs consistently to be able to reach people's spiritual needs. People with disabilities often, while we can always use more services, there's all kinds of social services out there that will do things, but because budgets change, programs change, things go back and forth. And so a program that might last for a while ends and moves on to something else. And and so families get discouraged that somebody promised them something and it continues for a short time and then it's gone and then they have to readjust. And, and so what we have to be sure of in the church is if we're going to start to reach out to people, we're going to understand that this isn't just taking meals to somebody after they've had a baby and they need it for six weeks. Disability is going to go on day after day after day. And so we need to be there for the long haul. So we need to meet those practical needs. That's the first way we're even going to get people to think about coming to church. One of the um, things we offer with one of our local churches is a day of pampering for moms and wives of people with disabilities. And the number of ladies who come in who are unchurched is amazing. And they say, your church will do this for people who aren't even a part of it? They can't believe that. And while they haven't necessarily turned around and come back to the church the next week, now that we've been doing it several years, we're seeing those people coming to church either on a regular basis now or when a need hits in their life, they suddenly have a place where they feel like, oh, they really care about me there. I can call them or I can go there. And so that really is the practical foot in the door to be able to get to minister to people on a deeper level there. There, there are so many ways that the public school system has learned how to bring out the best of people with disabilities and so much that we can learn from them and apply to our church programs. Yes, I know Christianity is more of a program, but sooner or later, if you've got more than three people in a room, you're going to put together a program. So, so there's lots of things we can learn, but the goal is different in the school system and the, the end goal is socialization. For the church, the end goal is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And wherever that's possible, inclusion is a good thing. But the key here is what is it that will help the individual with disability 
come to know Jesus personally and grow as a disciple. Okay, remember we are talking about here this last part about the gospel in practice. Remember we talked about how the gospel is one integrated gospel in word and deed, right? And, and what Keller says in his book is, that, is the idea that it's crucial to understand that felt needs are the door to core needs, right? That those outer, the felt needs in those outer circles of disruption or alienation are the door to the core needs, which is our relationship with God. That's our core need in life, um, which is that inner circle of disruption or, or alienation. And so um, what Jerry pointed out is that our primary goal, of course, is to bring someone ultimately uh, not to just a saving relationship with Christ, but a growing relationship where the reign of God transforms a person's life from the inside out. Um, what Joan is trying to emphasize, though, is that is that in order to get there, you're going to have to work. You're going to have to start with a deed ministry on the outside, often, in order to even reach families uh, that you would want to minister to and, and and share the gospel. So it's going to take both aspects of that. And let's go back to Keller's picture again. I mean, if you think about the the the, the center of the bullseye is the prize, right? We want to keep our eyes on the prize that that when we're doing deed ministry, that we don't forget that ultimately, in order for a person to experience really transformative change, it has to come from the inside out. So they have to experience uh, the reign of God in their lives. But in order to get there, as Joan says, um, and as Keller said, uh, one of the ways he phrases this is that the, the door to core, to, uh, excuse me, Yes, the door to core needs is through the felt needs. So the door to the core, right, <laughs> is to go through the felt needs on the outside. That said, and this I think has to be said because Christians are famous for this kind of thing, it's not a means of manipulation in order to bring a person to Christ. That's not the point. <laughs> the point is that, both, is, that, is that both of those things are part of the gospel and they also change us. Right? It also is part of how the gospel transforms us and makes us more and more conform to the image of Christ. And so you don't meet felt needs in order to manipulate somebody you know, into being able to hand them a tract. Okay? That's, not, that's not the idea. It's just the idea that the hard work of the gospel means getting your sleeves rolled up and getting involved in the practical deeds of mercy. So remember we talked about making the gospel, the good news of the coming of the kingdom accessible to all in word and deed. So the idea of access implies that there are some barriers, right? Then, and we could spend hours just talking about different kinds of barriers that people with disabilities experience in life in general. I mean, they're as uh, many and varied as the types of disabilities are many and varied. And if you get involved in disability ministry, you'll realize that it covers an immense uh, spectrum. What I tell people all the time is I c- no one person can possibly know all this information. And part of the beauty of that is it requires you to work with people in an interdependent way in the same thing that you're trying to model in terms of having an interdependent body of Christ that values all of its parts, right? And so so when you talk about barriers, though, what I want to talk about is specifically where are their barriers to, to the gospel. And I want to do this, try to track with me here, because I think if you can walk away with this framework in your head, right, this this Christian worldview of a gospel perspective on disability, a gospel posture towards people with disabilities, and then the idea of how does the gospel transform from the outside in and from the inside out. You can look at any situation and apply it when you think about Keller's circles here. Okay, so, so let's see if we can do this here. I'm going to give you an example. 
right? And, and, and you see this model for not uniformity where everybody, you know, comes from the same middle class group that drives the same middle class car, you know, right? <laughs> and wears the same clothes from the same menu. You know, you see this, this picture of a diverse group and people with disabilities just help to really flush that out. Are you ready again? Where did I go? Okay, gospel and practice. Ding. Okay, so what I'd like to do here is let's see if we can just look at an example, and I'll, I'll walk you through a, a way to think about how to apply the gospel to this family affected by disability. So suppose you're walking through Walmart, and you happen to uh, meet a family who has a, a child, uh, or an, let's say he's a young adult with uh, physical and intellectual disabilities, right? He's in a wheelchair, and he has some intellectual disabilities as well. And you strike up a, a relationship or, you know, a, a conversation with this, with this parent and find out that they live in your neighborhood, right? Okay, great, great. All right, now, um, let's look at, at their life through these different, here, here are Keller circles, right? Physical, social, psychological, theological. And then, and then we're going to look, so we're going to look at the different spheres in which they, they could experience life, right? Certainly they experience it at home. They might be able to experience it in the context of your church, and they do experience it in the context of their community, okay? So I want to focus on the first two, but here's, let's start, start with the first one. And what you find out is that they have a handicapped van with a lift, but it's broken, right? So it's very difficult for them to get places very easily. And so the other thing you find out is that they actually, in the social dimension, they don't have any respite care. Their mom and dad haven't been out for a date in five years, all right? And maybe their son isn't very socially connected either. He, he's graduated from high school, doesn't have a job, doesn't have any friends, right? And then psychologically, you find out that the, that the mom's depressed, okay? So, so you've got a broken van, no respite care, depression. If you walked into their home, and, and so as a result, they, they, they feel abandoned by God. That's, that's the way this parent feels, right? If you walked into their house and said, God loves you, right? That would be true. That would be true. Would they hear it? And they're not going to hear it, right? They're not going to hear it until they feel it, right? The felt needs, you're going to have to address the felt needs in order to get a hearing for the gospel down here. So where are you going to start, right? You start by maybe your deacons take that van and get it repaired at a local repair shop. Um, maybe you get a couple of families together who provide respite care and a night out for mom and dad once a month. Right? Maybe you help... Um, the son to uh, make some social connections. You have some kids from the youth group that, uh, that get to know him and see if some relationships develop there. Maybe you get the mom connected with a Christian counselor, or a good doctor that can help with the, the medical and the, and the spiritual dimensions of struggling with depression. Right? Do you see that? Do you see how bringing the gospel indeed to bear from the outside in will give you the opportunity to present the gospel in word? All right, now let's suppose that they showed up at your church, right? And they find out that there's no handicapped bathroom. There's no process for actually including a person with a disability or even knowing where would he go to Sunday school, right? <laughs> where, what activities are available that might, that might be a good fit for this particular person? Or if you have a person that's hearing impaired, is there any, is there any uh, interpretation, right? You can start going down a whole bunch of things, but is there any process even for bringing a person with a disability into the context of the body of Christ and, and welcoming and enfolding them into that? Uh, you find out, they find out that psychologically there's a sense of fear there. Everybody's kind of running a wide 
circle, right, around this family and around this wheelchair when you have the greeting time at Keurig, nobody's talking to them, right? And then, and then when you really look uh, deeper all the way down to the core and into the way that Keurig thinks about things, and we could pick a thousand different theological issues, <laughs> I just picked one, their perception as a church is that, is that all people with disabilities will be physically healed in this lifetime, right? That's, that's a belief that that church carries that's not consistent with the already not yetness of the gospel. That, yes, there's substantive healing that happens in this lifetime, and yet, and yet the complete healing that any of us experiences in every aspect of our personhood doesn't happen until, until the new kingdom, right? And so, and so here you have, have inaccurate theological thinking about the gospel, which creates problems all the way out here, right? Because it creates a sense of fear and a sense of distance because you don't know what to do with people that aren't fixed, right? And then, and then it doesn't cause you to expect people with disabilities in anticipation because you don't think they should be here in the first place, right? And so, and so do you see how what's going to need to happen in that church is you've got to have a transformation from the inside out because if you just go and put in a handicapped bathroom but you don't change any of the rest of it, real valuing, welcoming, including is not going to happen, right? So applying the gospel in word here, Right? And bringing the truth of the gospel, and an accurate perspective, a gospel perspective on disability, a gospel posture in relationships, and that being preached from the pulpit, practiced in the congregation, will change the perspective of fear, change the welcoming attitudes of the social dimension, and cause people to make physical changes in the way they do things in order to be a welcoming church. Do you see what I'm saying? So it essentially, I'm going to skip the community piece for the interest of time right now. Essentially, what you need to do is start with the, church for the, with the church from the inside out, which is why it often takes a core team of a special needs uh, committee or a disability task force or whatever to help a church, help the, the church to become transformed by the gospel in the context of the subject of disability. And then start with the family from the outside in. Right? You have to start with the family by addressing material and physical needs and work your way through those circles. Now, it's not some neat linear process like, okay, didn't that? Right? <laughs> if you understand mercy ministry, you know it's messy, it's continual, it's never finished. If you like closure, don't get into it. <laughs> or get over it. <laughs> so, uh, and so, so here's an example of how you'd start from the, well, I already went through some of this, you know, the gospel perspective on, on disability that would address how people look at disability and their fears would change uh, them to say, hey, how do we, how do we create a, a way that when somebody with a noticeable disability walks into our door that we, we offer them whatever accommodations they might need to be part of us? And, and then how do we um, actually meet even some of the material needs uh, on site that we would, anything from uh, having enlarged print, right, to having uh, hearing devices, to having handicap accessible restrooms, any of those type of things. And how do we provide training for our teachers in Sunday school so they could include a person with a disability, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? So that inside-out piece from the church dimension, outside-in from the family dimension, no matter what the example is, look at, at those different circles. Start, where can we start with the physical need? Where are their social needs? Where is their psychological need? How can we bring the gospel to bear in word so that we can always keep our eye on the prize, right? That the gospel at its core, this is the gospel, excuse me, gospel indeed from the outside to the gospel at its core being the gospel in word, 
where the, we experience the transforming reign of God in us. And that's what every person needs in life. So here are five first steps you could take home in terms of how do you get a disability ministry started in your local congregation. And I always use that phrase loosely because, uh, as Jerry said, you know, you get three people in a room, you get a program. <laughs> but disability ministry, by definition, is not programmatic. It's relational, right? And so you can come from uh, most of the, the vast majority of PCA churches that I work with are, are smaller than 100 people. You're not going to get a great big uh, community program. But if you, if you impact the life of one family with a person with Alzheimer's, you have a disability ministry, right? If you touch the life of one family who has a child with Down syndrome or a, or a, uh, a spouse who's deaf, or pick a category, right? And, and, and if you understand the, the broad perspective of how many different types of disabilities there are, there's no shortage right, of people that you can reach already even in your own congregation. So um, the first five steps in terms of disability ministry is just equip yourself. And that um, starts with, uh, first of all, uh, having a, um, a biblical perspective and posture about disability and about people in general. Um, and that means immersing yourselves in the scripture. Don't just take what I told you for granted. Go back and look for yourself and, and, uh, and really ask God to, to really illuminate to you a, a larger picture of how the gospel applies to the subject of disability. So prepare yourself biblically. Prepare yourself prayerfully. Um, it, any type of ministry we do needs to be spirit-led and done in a, in a posture of God-reliance. If you go in on your own energy and say, oh, yeah, we can do this, you'll last about I don't know, 90 days maybe. <laughs> right? That's, it's, it's, hard, it's hard work, and the, and the nature of disability is it's relentless. That's what Joan was saying. It's not like you have a baby, you deliver a meal, you know, right? I mean, disability, as Gary said, is not going to go away like you can change your hair color. It's day after day after day, and that's why people step back from it, right? They say, because they know they can't fix it. We can't, you don't have to fix it, right? You just have to bring the power of the gospel, the coming of the kingdom, the restoration uh, that comes with that into, into every area of life, and you don't do it. God does it through your hands. So, um, and, uh, uh, practically speaking, in terms of equipping yourself, get to know the resources that are around in your area. Get to know the needs that are in your particular area. Some areas of the country have uh, uh, more distinct populations of people with different kinds of disabilities. Like St. Louis has a huge deaf population in, in that area. Um, uh, some people have resources that are unique to their particular area. Where I live in Lancaster County, uh, the land of the Mennonites, you know, so there's a lot of, of uh, justice and mercy ministry and some good disability ministry organizations in, in Lancaster that way. I know Young Life is not uh, real far from here as far as their camps. If you have Young Life in this area, they have something called Capernaum, right? Capernaum is a disability ministry outreach at the high school level. So, so find out what kind of ministries are in your area, find out what kind of resources are in your area, including secular resources. Do you have a mental health association? Is there a NAMI chapter? Don't forget the mental illness, you know, mental health issues fall into that, the circle of, of one of those really invisible and very disabling um, things that people can experience. Uh, is there a Down syndrome support group? There's almost always one, almost every county in the country. Is there an autism group? Where's the early intervention program here? Where's your VA hospital, right? So, the, and, and so find out where are the resources, where are, are some of the needs in your community and equip yourself uh, that way. The next thing is to enlist the, enlist the support of your church leadership. 
And the first thing I say is don't go Lone Ranger on this. I've seen way too many times where people get, they'll catch on fire from a conference or something like this. They'll go in, you know, they want to change the world. And that's great. They want, you know, it's great to be motivated to do that. But you have to do it in the context of where God's put you. So, so look at, so try to get your church leadership on board. Because I've seen places where an individual has grown a disability ministry really fast. And the church never catches the vision for it. And all it, all it does is create another crash and burn, you know, situation, not just for that individual, but for those families where you've set up a level of expectation and then it, and then it, the bottom drops out again. So, so um, work with your church leadership and try to help cast a vision. Um, this isn't a pitch to sell books. I wrote a book, though, that's, that's for that purpose. It's called Same Lake, Different Boat, and it really helps uh, people to try to understand how do we think about disability biblically, what have families experienced and how does the church respond in practice? And so I have that downstairs if you're interested in it. But that's what we use in the PCA churches. Is our, we give that as to our churches. And so it takes time to work with your church leadership. And you have to work with them to, to say, how do, what's the vision and mission of the local church leadership? And how, does you, how do I dovetail this with that? So one example of that in our church was... Uh, our church's uh, vision statement is uh, that Reformed Presbyterian Church would be a stream of God's refreshing grace to people from all walks of life. So that's a pretty, that's like a softball, you know. <laughs> as far as tying that in, we say, oh, people from all walks of life. Well, that would include people with disabilities. And so how do we, you know, so we're able to go to our church leadership's value there and plug this distinct people group into that, that particular idea. So enlist your church, the support of your church leadership, uh, establish a special needs team, a disability task force, a special needs committee, I don't care what you call it, you know, but some type of team that serves to, as a resource to the rest of the congregation. It's way too easy for a disability ministry to end up as another box on the organizational chart. As Presbyterians, we, you know, we have lots of organizational charts, so, <laughs> right? <laughs> so that's the, uh, have to do things decently and in order. And so, uh, and so I always encourage churches uh, to, to not create another box on the org chart because what happens then is people say, oh, well, people with disabilities belong over there. It's like, no, people with disabilities belong in, in the very fabric of everything that we do. How does a special needs committee help every other aspect of the life of the church to include people with disabilities in whatever it is they do? So the special needs team isn't responsible for people with disabilities. They're the resource to the children's ministry director. They're the resource to the deacons who are doing, meeting practical needs. They're the resource to the women's ministry. They're the resource to the music ministry, right, in terms of how do we include people with special needs in everything that we do. Um, and, and so trying to, so when you look, put it, look at putting together a special needs team or special needs committee, look at including um, everything from parents to some church leadership. helps if you have whatever your church leadership structure is, is built on, to have somebody representing that, somebody representing your diaconal or mercy ministry team, uh, some people with disabilities themselves, right? And maybe some people with a counseling background because you often run into a lot of family dynamics as well. So a diverse kind of group of folks that have some level of knowledge that they can apply uh, to this. Uh, educate your congregation. You know, we talked about these historical perspectives. How many of you could identify, right, with pieces that you carry around in your head? People in your congregation often have had very little exposure um, and very little life experience with people with disabilities because so many of us grew up with our lives segregated from people. Anybody 45 or older spent very little time with people, especially people with intellectual disabilities in their uh, growing up years. So there's still a lot of education that has to be done. Um, and engage your, remember, just remember to engage your families from the outside in. 
Um, and start with who you have. You know, there's nothing more hurtful to a family. Let's say you have a family with autism, a child with autism that goes to your church, and you decide you're going to start a disability ministry, so you go outside looking for people. While that family continues to have significant unmet needs, start with who you have. Right? <laughs> and from that, ask God to bless and grow that so you can, can start reaching outside of your walls. But start with who you have. And then my last three words would be repeat, repeat, repeat. <laughs> because that's the nature it's the nature of the gospel in an already not yet world, right? It, it's, you're not gonna, the job is never finished, right? And the, and the needs will never be completely met, but you can make substantive change where we bring the gospel to bear indeed so that people can experience the transforming of the power of the gospel, the reign of God from the inside out. So that's disability in the gospel. So feel free to talk to me afterwards if you have any questions. My, in, in my brochure, uh, my email address is in there. Feel free to email me. I have a website that's on there as well. We have some resources on there. Churches don't have to go Lone Ranger either. <laughs> you, know, you can work with a lot of other. This, the power of the gospel becomes multiplied when the body of Christ, not just in one particular expression, but in, in the area of Colorado Springs here, works together. Um, and you can do that in context with Johnny and Friends. Family retreat, I don't know if you guys are going to have one, is a great way to get your, yeah. Family retreat is where families affected by disability go to 20 different Johnny and Friends camps around the country. And it's a fantastic immersion experience, you know, for volunteers in disability ministry. So.